Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... Will you commit to keeping the age of super at 65 for as long as you're in the job? Yes. Well, isn't that letting down her generation? Because they are going to have to pay the bill for that. A universal superannuation is one of the birthrights of every New Zealand citizen. But the economic world is changing. Superannuation is, is $15 to $20 billion over the next little while. That's a lot of fat to trim to pay, to pay for that. You can't, there's no amount, you, you'd have to get rid of the health system. So, with an ageing population, low savings and a looming economic crisis, is it time to talk about the nuclear option? raising the age of entitlement. We really want to preserve New Zealand super. We want to make sure we can afford it for the next generation. And if this is one of the ways of doing it, why don't we get on with it? Thomas Coglin is a senior political reporter with Stuff. A superannuation is a fortnightly payment that is firstly to people over the age of 65. It's guaranteed and it's, it's one of the sort of crown jewels, I suppose, of New Zealand's social welfare system. It's a recognition that after a, a lifetime of difficult work, you deserve to put your feet up and enjoy retirement. New Zealand was one of the first movers with superannuation. We've had it for a very long time. Since the late 1800s, actually, though it was means-tested until 1938. At the moment, it's a fairly basic universal payment to people over a certain age. Our benefit system is incredibly complicated, depending on how many children you have, what your income is. By comparison, superannuation is actually very simple. It's just a payment to people of a certain age. How much money do we spend on super each year? This is the kicker. The benefit of superannuation is its universality. It basically means that New Zealand has one of the lowest rates of pension of poverty anywhere in the world and that's a massive achievement for this country. When you think about Victorian times, we started what became superannuation at the end of that Victorian era. There were pensioners living in absolute poverty having to move in with their children. But of course that largesse comes at a cost. Last year superannuation cost us $15 billion. It's expected to rise. Uh, at the moment, we don't know exactly how much it's expected to rise because superannuation is pegged to wages. And given the current crisis, we don't know um, what is going to happen with wages. I, my guess is that they're not going to rise very fast. Mm. But in the next uh, four years, 130,000 people will reach the superannuation eligibility age. Uh, and that was estimated to bring the cost of superannuation up to $20 billion. And by way of comparison, every dollar the government spent last year, it was $80 billion. Wow. So by 2024, a decent amount of every um, dollar the government taxes and spends will go to superannuation. Where does that money come from? Is it all tax? Uh, yes, essentially at the moment. I think there's a misconception around superannuation, which is that over the lifetime that you work, the government is squirrelling away money for you uh, to help you out when you retire. And um, that would be lovely, but that's not what happens. The money that the government pays in superannuation, that comes from people who are still working and still paying tax. So it's a direct transfer of money from people who are earning to people who are who are not earning. So I guess the, the interesting thing about that is that superannuation is kind of a story of the New Zealand economy, all of the inequalities and pain, I guess, of the tax system and the benefit system are reflected in superannuation because the inequalities of that tax system are transferred to the people who benefit from it, which are superannuitants. 
It's a pretty uncomplicated system, but that doesn't mean there aren't complications. New Zealand's population is ageing. Stats NZ reckons the over 65 demographic will surpass 1 million by the late 2020s. By the 2050s, a quarter of New Zealand's population will qualify for super. That means obviously more people are drawing down on their pension, but it also means there are fewer working age people to pay tax to fund super. And considering future governments also have to invest in health, education, infrastructure and so on, that means there are some tough choices our politicians have to make. The trouble is, messing with super is political kryptonite. The government has rejected a recommendation to raise the age that people can get the pension, but the Retirement Commissioner says politicians have their heads in the sand. And in the end, the best way to make sure we can afford all the things we want, whether it's retirement, you know, good health care, better education services, is ultimately have a strong economy that produces the revenue. Yes, we do have time, and we could wait till uh, John Key stops being the Prime Minister and have another look at it, but I had hoped that we would be able to have this discussion now and maybe take this further forward. Just remember the commitment that he made was that uh, if there was any change in national super, he'd resign. I mean, it was a pretty cast iron, clear Yeah, well, cut, he's gone now. He has resigned. Commitment. Um, as, That's right. So do age, age of eligibility, you said not major changes, so maybe raising it a couple of years? Is that what you're talking about? Well, look, you know, that you'll just have to wait and see. If you become Prime Minister, will you commit to keeping the age of super at 65 for as long as you are in the job? Yes. We'll keep it at 65 and we'll start putting contributions back into the superannuation fund so we can afford for Kiwis and, to retire. And you'll resign rather than raise the age of super from yes. 65? You will. There are questions about universality. Superannuation reflects all the inequalities of our society. The debate at the moment, the National Party is committed to uh, raising the superannuation age of eligibility to 67. Will you uh, stand by your previous leader and Bill English's commitment to increasing the age of superannuation to 67? That's the National Party policy. I see no reason to change that. But that, that raises questions about equality. Māori and Pacific health outcomes are poorer than that of the general population. So raising the age of eligibility means that people from those uh, communities um, enjoy less of the golden years than everyone else. There are working people, people who do physical and manual jobs throughout their working life. Right now they struggle to get to the age of 65 already. I met a a lines technician a few years ago who was 64, looking forward to his retirement at 65, his employer had approached him and said, listen, we can't find replacement line technicians. Can you, do you mind working till you're 70? He was horrified. And I said, well, you know, you're entitled to retire. You're 65 eligibility. You get your superannuation. You make the decision. You do what you want to do. He retired at 65. He, he simply could not do that physical work anymore. Considering that they have paid for other people's superannuation their whole lifetimes, that isn't exactly fair. There are other inequalities as well. At the moment, there are 30,000 people who collect superannuation who are earning more than $100,000 a year in salary still. You, know, you, don't have, you don't have to retire at 65. You can still earn and collect super. That costs half a billion dollars every year. So there are questions being raised now about whether or not we should income test, we should means test people before we give them superannuation. The latest complaint is that there are now more than 31,000 over 65-year-olds claiming the pension while also earning over $100,000, which possibly adds up to a bill of about $600 million a year. So what? 
What's the problem? Should pensioners get disqualified from earning their super because they've cracked some magical number by earning $100,000? Those are fair questions when we're paying so much into the system. But then, of course, the second you start means-testing it, you open up the risk of people falling through those means-tested cracks, Mm. people who perhaps should be collecting it but are ineligible for it. The other big thing, which I don't think is getting enough attention, is the fact that over time the current generation of people that is collecting superannuation have accumulated a whole lot of wealth. People are not earning as much as salary and wage earners as they were previously at various points in their life. This is a question that was um, raised by the tax working group. The uh, rise of the gig economy, changes in digital technology have really put the lid on wage growth and that means because a, a decent chunk of our tax base comes from taxing people's salary, mm. uh, not companies tax, not GST, although those are significant. If there isn't sizable wage growth, which means more you know, money being taxed as well, then that also calls into question the ability of the country to pay for super. And the argument of the capital gains tax was, look, you know, these people who are collecting super have also accumulated a whole bunch of capital. So maybe it would be fair to tax that capital to pay for the super. Mm. Yeah, and so this gets into the, the whole idea, right, of sort of unproductive assets and, and people pumping their money into things that, that, well, I mean, property being the big example, that then sort of just sits there and appreciates but doesn't actually necessarily contribute any money into any economy in, a, in the broader kind of sense. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, you look at the way that the government and, and actually private people are paying for the current crisis and previous crises as the Reserve Bank cuts interest rates. That means that it's much cheaper to borrow money if you can borrow money. So people who have capital, people who have assets, borrow more money. They buy more stuff. They they inflate asset prices and get richer. Whilst at the same time, those salary and wage earners who are stashing their money away in a KiwiSaver fund or in term deposits, well, they're punished by these low interest rates and are accumulating less and able to save less. So you open up this massive divide in the ability of some people to save privately for their retirement and the, the ability of other people to save privately for their retirement. There's a massive, massive divergence in, in what um, people are able to do if they have wealth or, or don't. So... Is the only way that we can grow the pot of money from which we take super through growing the tax base? Well, I mean, and this is, um, it seems like a novel idea, but it's actually been kicking around for a very long time, which is the idea of um, of doing what people think the government does, which is to put money aside to pay for superannuation. In the 1970s, the Norman Kirk Bill Rowling government started to look at essentially forward funding superannuation uh, rather ironically, Roger Douglas was part of that scheme. And the idea was essentially, look, you know, well, we need to put some money away, buy some assets, and that will help pay for super going forward. This was the dancing Cossacks idea, the idea of the state buying stuff. Mm-hmm. So Robert Muldoon um, infamously ran that dancing Cossacks ad because he thought the idea of the state saving in this way was communism. On April Fool's Day, the Labour government started a compulsory superannuation scheme and called it a bold piece of social legislation. It wasn't even a very funny joke. What they didn't tell you was that nobody would get its full benefit until the year 2028. He got rid of that scheme. So this has been kicking around since then. Now, in the um, the first term of the Clark government, uh, Michael Cullen looked at, again, the idea of 
saving money to help the state pay for superannuation. Now, this is kind of like a KiwiSaver. The idea was you set up a, a massive sovereign wealth fund, you pay hundreds of millions and eventually billions of dollars into it every year. It's invested in a wide portfolio of assets, and eventually that fund would grow and grow and grow to the point where it would then be able to pay money back to the Crown, which the Crown would then use to blunt the edges of the pain of paying for superannuation. You can actually think of this in sort of reasonably practical terms. Right? It's just like how you and I can create our own investment portfolio, except the NZ Superfund has billions and billions and billions of dollars to play with. Yeah, it's like it's the, it's a forty billion dollar KiwiSaver fund, <laughs> <laughs> or it was it was forty billion dollars before the current situation. Indeed, it yeah. will probably you know. I mean, I haven't checked my KiwiSaver for a few months, and I'm, I hope the Superfund guardians have checked theirs. The biggest fear of the super of the Superfund is like people always say with your KiwiSaver. Just when times are bad, don't just switch it into conservative. Don't freak out. You've got to ride the market. And the super fund's biggest fear is that New Zealanders will wake up one day, you know, after the COVID crisis, see, oh my God, you know, the super fund's value has declined by billions of dollars. We need to wind down the super fund. They're not worried about this crisis or the next crisis so much because the market generally always recovers over a long enough time scale. The biggest fear is, is confidence. But they, they, do think in, they do think in lots of decades. They're quite interesting people to talk to for that reason, actually, because they have this sort of sage-like wisdom of the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's like talking to Gandalf. <laughs> so quiet. It's the deep breath before the plunge. But it is a bit like that, you know. I mean, they you ask them a question about the COVID, they say, oh, COVID, you know. I'm thinking about 2050. <laughs> puny, puny mortals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ah, what a privilege it is to die. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned, though, at the top that we are expecting over a, over a short period of time a large influx of people qualifying for super and that having a big effect on how much money we are paying out on super. Mm. What does that actually mean for super? Does the super fund need to increase its revenue, its year-on-year kind of revenue, or, or how much money it's making to compensate for that increase in demand? The question there is about whose responsibility this is. I mean, the, the main responsibility for paying for super is still the government's, and the super fund is there to kind of help out the government. Um, and you know, obviously, it helps that the super fund is owned by the government. So, <laughs> so they're two sides of the same um, very expensive coin. Yeah. Um, the issue, I mean, the, the main issue with government books is this thing called the deficit, which everyone panics about. Mm-hmm. Very simple: if your costs are greater than what's coming in, then you create a deficit. Occasionally, you get a deficit because of a shock. Um, what you really don't want is something called a structural deficit. And that is when all of the things that the government needs to pay for, health, education, super, are over the long term going to be always more expensive than what's coming in. Mm-hmm. That's a structural deficit. You know, getting a kick up the ass like we have this year when obviously tax revenue declines because people are getting fired and earning less and um, expenses increase because people are claiming more benefits, that's, that's not a structural deficit. That's something that will even out over time as employment increases and uh, those um, unemployment payments decrease. Mm. Superannuation is of the structural kind because that long-term means fewer people earning, more people claiming. Mm. That's terrifying because I think um, the tax working group estimated 
that by I think 2045 um, you're going to have a 4% of GDP structural deficit every year. So every year you're borrowing 4% of GDP to pay for these increased costs. Mm. And the super fund comes in and it's sort of intended to help that out. But it's going to require a lot of money. Um, you know, the super fund at the moment well, it should be roughly $40 billion. It won't be because of COVID. Mm. <laughs> but eventually it will get there again. And even you know, the super fund is going to grow over the long term. But even then, there are some serious questions that will need to be asked in the next decade or not because you're going to need a whole lot of revenue, not just the super fund, a whole lot of revenue to plug that gap. What are those questions that you're sort of um, alluding to there? The, the question is, is uh, it's, it's actually a really simple one. It's who pays, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> the sort of traditional boring way is tax more. Uh, and that is a question of who tax more you, you, you hear that you hear, you hear that quite a lot don't you and well i mean if you look at it from a superficial point of view it seems like the solutions to this would be you know relatively simple if politically dangerous yeah i mean tax people hate death and taxes and superannuation is both <laughs> and it is just it is politically toxic raising superannuation like even bill english you know, died on that hill. We've outlined a long-term goal to low, yeah. lower the age, to increase the age of eligibility. We've given everybody 20 years. Okay. So today's 25-year-olds know sure. they won't have to carry the burden of those extra two years. Okay, no, hang on. And raising taxes is politically pretty toxic too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the future, you might, na- you might need to do both, you raise the age of superannuation and raise taxes. What sort of taxes could be introduced that would, you know, actually make a meaningful dent in the long term? I mean, we've talked, actually, I think we've probably danced so far around the idea of a capital gains tax, but that, that surely would be an idea worth considering. Yeah, well, I mean, as you will um, as you will see whenever you open up the property pages, there's a whole lot of capital in New Zealand. <laughs> and the house prices here are, are pretty pretty healthy. And even in the COVID crisis, they're looking, you know, okay, considering the, the, the picture mm. um, that's been painted by the wider economy. So, yeah, you could, you could tax some of that wealth. Property is an area where New Zealanders make vast amounts of money, and it's almost completely untaxed. We've got a bright line test on investment property, um, and compliance for that is really low. You could do a wealth tax, which is just taxing people for how much they're worth, which is quite popular overseas. It's a way of getting a whole lot of money because there are a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of money in this country and a lot of it is untaxed. Um, but the issue with those two taxes is that, is that compliance is difficult. Taxing people's income is really easy. And when, whenever you open the door for these sort of taxes that require a, a high degree of compliance, then you make it easier for people to avoid them. Do you think it also pays into it that actually I like the idea of a universal payment being available to people who are old? You know, it, make, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like we, we, we take care of our citizens. Yeah, I mean, my personal view is that I, I think it's, it is healthy and nice and good. New Zealand is a society that respects people um, and the lives that they've lived and the contribution they've made. And part of that respect is giving them a comfortable, decent retirement, which they've earned. They have earned that. You know, they haven't forward-funded it. They haven't paid for it. But uh, in a moral sense, uh, there's no doubt that that people of that generation have have earned um, every cent that they get. But in terms of government, I don't think anyone actually... Government is so huge. $80 billion goes out 
the door every year. Mm-hmm. Most of it goes on very important stuff that you wouldn't cut. Um, but I think it's the vastness of it is so massive that it's just so difficult for the average voter to get their heads around mm. because it's just so much money and it goes on so many different things. And I think people think, well, you could trim the fat here, there and everywhere to maybe make things work and square the circle. But superannuation is, is 15 to $20 billion over the next little while. That's a lot of fat to trim to pay, to pay yeah. for that. You can't. There's no amount. You, you'd have to get rid of the health system. It's that big. Wow. The health system's roughly $20 billion. So Wow. That's astonishing, putting in those yeah, terms. It's crazy. It's like the, super, the line for superannuation in the budget is one of the biggest of, of all of them. The DHBs are only a little bit more expensive than that. It's huge. What you doing when the money call? Gotta get it now. Ain't no time to stall. Tell them I want everything. Yeah, I want it all. What's the point of grinding if you ain't gonna bomb? You and I are around about the same age. I'm 28. I think you're 29. Is that right? Yeah. In 40 years' time, are we gonna be side by side in the office plugging away at our holographic <laughs> laptops because because we don't receive superannuation and we're working well into our 70s? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the way things are going at the moment, I think you and I and everyone in our age group will probably be flatting together in some kind of boarding house. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, yeah, working on our iPads or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I'll still be cooking the same selection of four dishes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I mean, there's a good news story to this as well. I think we'll be living a lot longer. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll be, we'll be living longer and healthier. But... I would say that the the age of retirement would have a seven in front of it by the time that I retire. And I think there'll be questions around the universality at that point as well. Um, but, you know, the sad part of this is that a whole generation of people, by the time that it gets to me retiring, will have disappeared um, and passed away. Uh, and then the demographics of our generation are quite different. You know, we have a, a number of children in our generation that sort of roughly replaces um, the population's and we ourselves are quite a small generation, so the issue of the, the generation after us paying for, for our generation is a completely different equation because actually, unlike the, the current situation where there was a massive population boom and those people had a, a smaller number of children, well, we ourselves are a relatively small generation and, and it looks like the generation that, that is coming after us is, is of roughly equivalent size. So, you know, that's, uh, superannuation will always be a problem like that. It will always be a, a case of pulling one lever here and, and, and pulling putting that lever up over there um, and we can't actually see so, the social changes to our society that, that provide the context for that lever pulling um, it, will, it will always be a problem for our politics but I suppose it, it speaks to the relative health of our politics the extent to which we're able to answer it fairly and adequately that question What you doing when the money calls? Gotta get it now, ain't no time to stop. That's it for today, I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Thomas Coughlin. Kaki te ano.